This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. WBBM News Time 12.03. Great to have you joining us for the Thursday edition of the Noon Business Hour. I'm Cisco Cotto. The Noon Business Hour is presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Looks like business lunches are back. People really enjoying them. Twitter moving to a subscription service. They're at least testing it out in some countries. McDonald's bringing AI to the drive-thru. That's in our next segment. Right now, a boatload of data in the economic file, including jobless claims and people getting hired. Joining us to sift through the pile, Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Uh, Diane, let's begin with jobless claims, people filing for the first time for unemployment. That seems to be doing pretty well. Yes, we finally saw that fall below the 400,000 mark. And we also saw the special pandemic unemployment claims also fall, which is really important. Those were extensions to unemployment benefits to workers that were self-employed. So that really does show how much the economy is ramping up and also people are out there getting jobs instead of um, not being able to get jobs as we've seen for so long. So that's really good news. The problem is the economy is ramping up. Consumers are spending and businesses are opening up faster than people want to return to both offices, work from home, and in fact to um, crowded workplaces. I think there's been some confusing messaging regarding masks and certainly viral videos out there of people being um, very hostile to having to put a mask on when asked to enter a business is not helping matters. And so what we're seeing is a lot of businesses have to be much more creative. They're also competing with all those big retail behemoths like Walmart, Target, and Amazon who have raised wages. They can easily absorb the shock of those higher wage wages. It's much harder for smaller businesses to do that but they are hiring up again. Yeah, we're seeing that hiring. Is it just the big guys doing the hiring? Are we seeing small businesses hiring too? We really are seeing the small businesses come back as well. Of course, we lost so many. You know, it's it's a very different equation than it once was. You can go down any street and see all those papered over windows of businesses that once existed. But the dominant numbers in the ADP report today, anyways, were actually by small businesses in the leisure and hospitality sector, which includes everything from restaurant and bars to amusement and gaming. We also know that certainly in uh, Las Vegas, they were at full capacity over the Memorial Day weekend. So casinos and the gambling establishments have also been hiring up. That will show up in the data as well. What we're looking to is to get back some of those child care workers. We're still down 15% from February of 2020. That's important because people need child care to be able to go back to work as well. Talk about worker productivity. It's uh, not revised 5.4%. What should we make of that? 
Well, what we're seeing is, you know, we're getting distortions in the productivity numbers, but I do think going forward, what's really important on productivity in terms of workers is that this has been such a massive disruptive shift that it forced us to adopt existing technologies and learn how to use them in ways we never thought we would. And that's going to linger in terms of productivity growth. What I also am concerned about, though, is that it will actually displace a lot of those low-wage workers, especially in terms of transactions where, you know, your self-checkout at the grocery store or at a major store, that eliminates jobs as well. And I think we're going to see a lot of distortions accelerated from the adoptions of technology that make us more productive, but also have a downside in terms of what they mean for many workers that aren't as highly educated as others. Always good analysis from Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Just ahead, automated ordering may soon be coming to your local McDonald's. Chicago-based McDonald's is testing automated drive-through ordering at 10 restaurants in the city. Joining us with the latest details, R.J. Hadavi, an analyst with Aaron Allen Cap. Capital Partners here in Chicago. Uh, RJ, uh, AI in the drive-thru, kind of help us to understand what this looks like. Yeah, I mean, honestly, from a consumer standpoint, it's not going to be very much different from what you have typically experienced with the drive-thru. Uh, effectively, McDonald's, and I believe they're using the technology they acquired in 2019 called Apprente, uh, is using the voice uh, uh, recognition and uh, ordering platform uh, that will automatically uh, have a conversation with you when you're trying to place the order. Uh, they're testing at 10 stores. Uh, I think management realizes it's probably going to be uh, something that's going to take a couple of years to roll out. Uh, it's difficult to, to get those orders in, especially if you've got kids in the backseat uh, screaming as well. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's something that, uh, that's got a lot of promise, um, you know, and, and piggybacking off your last guess, uh, there is a lot of opportunity for uh, technology and automation and AI to have a place in the restaurant industry, uh, especially as a lot of restaurants are having trouble bringing back workers uh, and wages continue to climb. I think this is going to be a technology that not only McDonald's adopts, but we're going to start to see in more and more quick service and fast casual restaurants in the future. So I know I, I've been in a McDonald's drive through when a, a, an automated voice says, you know, hi, welcome to McDonald's. But then there's a person on the other end taking the order. In this case, it's like speech recognition where the computer's actually taking the order. That is correct. And uh, so far, it seems like it's been pretty successful. Uh, the, the company said that they have 85% order accuracy and only 20% of the instances that they, they have does an, uh, an employee need to step in and take the order. Um, you know, based on what we've seen from some of the other competing AI platforms, order-taking AI platforms in the space, those are pretty compelling numbers, and uh, that's that's further ahead than, than I think a lot of players are at this point. Yes, but it, it gets you through the whole transaction, um, and I think that, you know, some of the big challenges that, that companies had to overcome on this is not everybody orders the same. You think about it, you know, a Big Mac, maybe, you know, something different to somebody else, the way they actually say it um, you know, is different. So it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge. I mean, it's one of those things that seems simple on the surface, but it's a big challenge. Uh, but if this could, uh, if, they, if they get this right, it could be uh, very meaningful to the company. Uh, 70% of transactions, you know, and, and probably more coming out of COVID are going to be drive-through. And so to have something like this where you can speed through and improve throughput of the drive-through uh, could be big for a company like McDonald's. And is the expectation that the AI will just get better and better? You mentioned 85% order accuracy now. Is just expected to improve? Yeah, I think that's the goal. I don't think you're ever going to quite hit 100% on this. But, um, you know, anything you can do to free up employees to do uh, other things and improve the experience uh, you know, in the restaurant or improve uh, speed, which is really the name of the game when it comes to quick service restaurants, uh, I think that's a positive. So I think that the goal is to improve the technology, uh, get it better and better, get it up to that 90% plus accuracy rate, and then continue to roll it out in other markets.
Does this go hand in hand with uh, mobile ordering that just about every fast food restaurant is really trying to get their customers into? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think that one of the big takeaways coming out of COVID is that we, uh, as consumers, have really gotten used to mobile ordering and digital ordering. And I don't think that's going away. I think people have really found that convenient. And I think this is a way to tie into that. Um, you know, anything you as a restaurant operator can do to make the ordering process easier for consumers is a positive in this day and age. I think this will have benefits for not only uh, mobile ordering, but also the delivery and drive-through process. Obviously, this is being rolled out drive-through, but uh, you could see uh, in the future, too, this being used for uh, for delivery orders, um, yeah, and, and I think it really just largely uh, is part of a larger movement towards uh, embracing other technologies. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of restaurant chains, you know, had had time during the uh, the pandemic to rethink their business models, and uh, you know, McDonald's CEO Chris Kamczynski had mentioned that they're also looking at potentially uh, uh, fryer automated fryers and grills. Although that was going to be several years down the road, I think there's a real, uh, you know, the pandemic was eye opening for a lot of restaurants, and they're starting to embrace all sorts of new technologies. Uh, and I think the restaurant in the future is going to look very different from what it was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this, but it, it seems like the companies have really caught on to the fact that apparently customers don't like interacting with people very much <laughs> when they go there. I mean, you got mobile ordering, you have kiosks all over the place, self-checkout at the grocery store. We, we kind of want to get in and get out with as little interaction as possible. I, I think that that certainly is, is appropriate, and that that's right for for obviously the quick service and fast casual restaurant, where really consumers care about speed and convenience more than anything else. But I do think there's still a place for experience for kind of your your, your casual dining, your full service restaurants. Um, but I, I, I do think there's ways to augment the experience with technology on that front. But really, you know, the way we've been thinking about it, we're really only in the bronze age of uh, you know restaurant and food service technology, and really we're about to see the golden age uh, kick off here. So uh, it could be exciting times to to see how the restaurant uh, industry uh, revolutionized for the next couple of years. Thanks so much, R.J. Hadavi, analyst with Aaron Allen Capital Partners here in Chicago. McDonald's stock down a little more than a half a percent today, 232 per share. Up next, Twitter's launching something called Twitter Blue. It's a subscription service. We'll tell you about that just ahead. Buy, sell, listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Twitter is launching Twitter Blue, a new premium subscription service for users in Canada and Australia. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Scott Kessler, Global Sector Lead, Technology, Media, and Telecom for Third Bridge, based in New York, a subscription service. Scott, help us to understand what Twitter's doing here. Yeah, thanks a lot, Cisco. So they're announcing and releasing this offering um, for Australia and Canada, but I think the expectation is it's going to be made available globally sooner rather than later. I think what's noteworthy about um, this update is really the following. Number one, I think it's um, Twitter's first consumer subscription offering. Um, Number two, there's functionality that, frankly, people have been asking for, it seems like, for years. Most notable, I would argue, is probably the undo tweet function, but also bookmark folders, um, as well as a reader mode, which should make it a little bit easier to consume um, some of Twitter's content. Um, there obviously is some nice potential upside um, for revenues. I think they talked about um, about 200 million daily active users when they last reported. You know, if you assume that they get, you know, even a relatively small percentage um, of those users trying out. Blue, based upon the pricing they've communicated, 
you know, that could equate to three and a half dollars a month, maybe forty dollars a year per, per user. If you get, you know, ten million users, that could equate to, um, you know, four hundred million dollars, which you know is a lot of money. Would account for more than ten percent. Uh, of 2020 revenue, and obviously it would be very high margin. They're going to be an edit button. I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure people they, they might pay 50 bucks a month just to have an edit button. <laughs> well, I think the undo tweet is uh, is pretty close to I think uh, that functionality. And I also think to your point, um, the fact that Twitter is rolling this out and has taken feedback um, from customers and deciding what to start with. I think it's reasonable to think that, you know, they'd be open to considering a full-on um, edit tweet type functionality down the road. And so going forward, you mentioned, I mean, this could be a, a significant amount of money if it works in Canada and Australia. They just keep rolling it out worldwide. Yeah, and I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of adoption, because the thing that struck me is at least the initial price points that they communicated, really not a lot of money. Um, per month, potentially per year. If you think about all the subscriptions uh, seemingly that people have uh, signed up for and accumulated over the years, particularly uh, digital in nature, um, this is one of the smaller um, monthly or potentially yearly subscription costs that would be out there. And I think that probably would uh, appeal to folks, particularly you know the power users who have been clamoring uh, for this type of functionality for some time. Thanks so much for all of the insight. That is Scott Kessler, Global Sector Lead at Technology Media and Telecom at Third Bridge. Twitter stock up about a half a percent today, 57.48. Still ahead, Chicago-based United Airlines looking for supersonic jets. This is Chicago's all-news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Cisco Cotto. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM News. A lot of people have been hoping for the city set to fully reopen three weeks earlier than previously planned. Training starts next week for this year's Bank of America Chicago Marathon. United Airlines wants to bring back supersonic passenger jets with more people headed back to the office. The business lunch is seeing a comeback. WBBM Business, the Dow up 45, NASDAQ down 87, and the S&P down 6 points. Oil is down a third of a percent. Sunshine, clear skies throughout the day. High of 86 degrees. Cooler downtown, though, right now. 81 O'Hare, 67 along Chicago's lakefront. Mayor Lightfoot says Chicago will move up its full reopening date by three weeks. I'm excited. I think we've done great work as a city. Lots of individual sacrifices along the way. So I think we're ready to move to phase five with the state next Friday, June 11th. Previously, the city had targeted July 4th for a full reopening. The mayor and city health commissioner, Dr. Allison Arwady, says COVID metrics in Chicago are the lowest since the pandemic began. The city seeing a rolling average of 135 new cases per day and a 2% positivity rate. If you're signed up for this year's Bank of America Chicago Marathon, prepare to get moving. Training starts next week. The Bank of America Chicago Marathon will step off from Grand Park on October 10th. 
Close to 46,000 runners finished the course in 2019. Thanks to COVID, the capacity is limited to 35,000 runners, but race director Carrie Pinkowski says the Chicago Marathon course is wide, easily accessible, and adaptable to a new race plan. The majority of our participants walk to the start. Uh, we don't have to transport uh, participants to a, to a remote start area, so those will all factor into the to the, uh, the race operations experience. Due to the pandemic, last year's marathon was converted to a virtual event. Rob Hart, News Radio 105.9 FM. It's 12:32. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The Noon Business Hour presented by Republic Bank of Chicago. Markets are mixed. The Dow up 50. NASDAQ down 83 and the S&P down five points. Jack Ablin is joining us, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, it's always good to have you on the show. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Yeah, a little bit of good news today, Cisco. We got um, some pretty strong uh, jobs reports this morning. Everyone's waiting for tomorrow's big jobs report. But uh, we got a couple of little ones. We got one from ADP, which is the paycheck processor. Um, showed that uh, employers added, uh, let's see, roughly looks like 978,000 net new uh, jobs, which was a, a great number. Uh, and then we got jobless claims coming in a little bit below expectations, and that's a good thing, 385,000. Anything below 400. Thousand um, is uh, is making some progress. So let's talk about market expectations here, because it looks like we're getting reopened. It looks like a lot of people getting back to work. Is that that good news? Is that already baked into the market these days? Uh, yeah, Cisco. A lot of it is. Um, you know, we, everyone has seen the you know vaccine rates go up and the infection rates go down. Uh, planning for reopening, you know, a lot of stimulus checks. So everything's coming together, and we're seeing very, very strong economic data. I think the question now is, what does normal look like after this initial surge? And I think that's really puzzling a lot of investors right now. And so uh, what's your advice, given the fact that there is still that uncertainty? Yeah, well, I think what's going on is, um, you know, investors are really focused where the light is, and that's just near term, because that's that's the most uh, clarity. And I think as we start to transition from this, you know, initial ramp up to a point where perhaps we kind of love peak, peak at some point and level off, then I think the uh, investment community will start focusing on kind of the intermediate term and, and what things will look like for us. I think it means that between now and then, we're likely to see some higher interest rates. Uh, that could put some pressure on stocks. Uh, but I don't think rates you know, can go up that much because we have an economy and a market uh, so dependent on low interest rates that you know, anything substantially higher would really pull the rug out from, any, you know, from everything. So I think it'll go up, um, you know, we could see the 10-year Treasury get up to perhaps 2%, uh, maybe a little bit higher, uh, and then things will likely, um, you know, roll over and come back down. And when it comes to inflation, we're seeing it not only here at home, but really around the world. Uh, how significant is that? That is, I mean, you know, that, and, and, and we all see it. Um, everyone's paying more for everything right now, and the question is how sustainable that will be. The Federal Reserve, of course, is on record saying we think it's temporary. Some investors are saying not so sure. What we're looking at are things that, you know, where prices go up and they generally don't come down, like wages and, 
and uh, rents and things like that. And for right now, you know, it is, um, you know, encouraging, I suppose, that we're, we're hearing companies like McDonald's and Walmart and Amazon talking about $15 an hour, uh, but those costs are going to have to be passed along. And the question is, you know, will that be sustainable or, um, you know, will that will that come back to earth? And right now, I think we're, we're saying that we think uh, some of it's going to be sustainable. We're likely expect uh, an inflation rate consistently higher than 2%, which is something we haven't had in about a decade. Thanks so much, Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Just ahead, United Airlines planning for an aircraft that could cut flight times in half. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Chicago-based United Airlines has announced plans to buy 15 supersonic airplanes capable of cutting some flight times in half. Joining us on the McGrath Lexus Business Line, Ken Goldstein, President KJG International Consulting. Uh, Ken, tell us about this partnership with Boom. Well, first off, thanks, Cisco, for having me on. This is a great day, if you will, a big splash in headlines for Scott Kirby and the hometown airline, United. Uh, you got to take a step back at him because he's aggressively trying to develop opportunities for the airline. Remember, he's number three of the big three. Americans first, Delta, then United. So he took a stall in a, a vertical takeoff aircraft group called Archer Aviation, and he's partnering with Mesa Airlines to order 200 electric aircraft, fly for short distances. And this thing with Boom, which is interesting, is this is kind of down the road. This is a thing that, if it comes about, the first aircraft passenger aircraft will be flying the called the Overture probably in 2030, but he's got a long way to go. First off, they have to get this test of the XB-1, which is a model of the potential aircraft down the road, to fly either later this year or early next. And then when they finally get this plane built and they ha- and boom, which we've talked about in the past on the noon business hour, they haven't built a production facility just yet. They still got a lot of uh, things to run through. For example, they got certification from the FAA and everything like that. All they're really talking about here is this is an aircraft that will fly on business routes overseas, meaning from New York, the New York area to London, San Francisco to the Far East. They have not cleared it yet to fly overland because of the noise. The other thing, if we look back when we had the Concorde, the situation there was it was a gas guzzler. It was a carbon emitter, so it didn't help climate change, which is very concerning now. This boom aircraft, which will fly with Rolls-Royce engines, will be a net zero carbon emitter, meaning that it's basically whatever it takes out of the air, it'll put back in and no problems there. It's going to use sustainable fuels, but they still have to get all these things down. On the plus side, remember, we used to never talk about cars that didn't have uh, any driver. And we're now talking about them very seriously. So maybe Scott Kirby's got something going here. Yeah, I mean, and it certainly seems like it would be attractive for flyers, right, to be able to say, hey, get on this plane, you'll get there in half the time. Well, it will be. But remember, you're still talking of an aircraft that only flies with about 88 passengers. So still it's first class or the primary. It go, appeals to the business who need the time and going back and forth. Where the airlines make money is when they got the wide-body jets, like a 777, or before that, the A380 Airbus, or before that, the 747, where they could put a lot of people on the plane, 
you're talking about maybe 400 people on an airplane flying them over a long distance. Now, it didn't fly as fast, but they were able to make money on that because they could fill the airplane up. Even flying uh, boom with 88 passengers, even if you charge them maybe seven or $8,000 for the flight, it's not going to be a big moneymaker for them. That was where the problem they ran into with the uh, Concorde. Yeah, interesting. And yeah, that's really very interesting insight. Thank you. Ken Goldstein, president of KJG International Consulting. This time tomorrow, Entrepreneur Friday, still to come. The business lunch is back. It- Money Talks, as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As pandemic restrictions ease and more people are back at the office, restaurants are seeing lunchtime crowds pick up. This time, things look a little different, though. Doug Roth is here, founder and president of Playground Hospitality here in Chicago. Uh, Doug, restaurant owners, they have to love the fact that things are getting busy at lunchtime again. Uh, You bet, Cisco. In fact, let me put my drink down. Um, (laughs) Things have really gotten... (laughs) really have gotten uh, in a very positive direction at this point. Uh, It's really interesting on uh, Mondays and Tuesdays when normally those days are really light for lunch. It's hard to get a table. Uh, So people that are operating at 75% occupancy at this point, I'm also hearing people are starting to push that a little bit too, that uh, you're going to start seeing restaurants a little bit fuller than maybe 75%. Yeah, with the mayor saying we're a couple of weeks away from full opening, I, I, mean, yeah, I mean, who knows how uh, much the city's going around and checking on that sort of stuff. Uh, do the restaurants need to be beyond 75% capacity for profitability? Uh, you do. I mean, it, you know, it depends, again, on the restaurant itself. But uh, the problem is, is that you have, let's say, a restaurant that has a table for four and you only have two people sitting there, you're down to 50%. So you're never really at a full restaurant. And so as many seats that you can get filled and, with as many people as possible and get what we call turns, meaning the fact is you come in at 11 o'clock and leave at 12 o'clock, and then we have someone at 12 o'clock that leaves at 1.30, and then after 1.30, that's really where you start making your money is when there's an opportunity to fill that restaurant in the time gaps that normally aren't uh, for lunch, and, and those are the sort of the fringe. What are we seeing at these lunches? I mean, does it look like old times or are things different now? Well, I, I think there's just a sense of more camaraderie, uh, a sense of, of uh, jubilant uh, and I you know probably almost uh, if you go back to post-World War II which uh, I, I don't remember I don't think you either but uh, that being the fact that it's probably more like the 60s which again we probably don't remember but as we sort of march forward it may be a period of time that none of us really remember and it's just uh, a feeling right now that um, you're glad to be back with friends and family and uh, especially over Memorial Day that that was certainly true for uh, many of us. Uh, how about drinking? I mean, it's been a while since a lot of people have been able to, uh, you know, you, you, you joked about putting your drink down at the start here. Uh, people really kicking them back? Well, it started with, actually, it started probably back in March a year ago uh, in talking to some of my friends who are distributors of both wine and also spirits. And then you uh, speak to you know people at Costco and Benny's and others in the city. Uh, it never stopped. Uh, what's happened now is that it's become broader in a sense that people probably aren't doing as much at home and, and now are consuming it at restaurants. And yes, uh, to answer your question, uh, you are seeing some greater numbers when it comes to alcohol and beer uh, uh, sales. Yeah, people are really glad to see each other again, for sure. Thank you so much, Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality. Business lunches are coming back. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, the replay podcast will be available shortly at WBBMnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.